from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself, he used to keep to himself what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let us pray. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We continue with our series on repentance toward flourishing in our denomination. We have a saying, which I like, called building flourishing churches. And so in, the, in our time of Lent, where we think about our need for God, our desperate need to be saved, it's a time to take stock and take a look at ways that you and I get in the way of that flourishing. When I first arrived in Seattle about nine, I arrived in 1997, I came for a nine month internship and I wound up staying for 10 years. (laughs) In the great Northwest, of course I did, right? Thank you, God. Sometime during my second or third year of that, I started working at a new church development on Lower Queen Anne called Church of the Center. And myself and another guy in that church named Joshua, we started a coffee house. Now, keep in mind, this was the late 90s, and that was, you know, kind of cutting edge. We We had good snacks. We had an espresso cart. We had live music. And it was one night a week. We'd gather in the area. Some of we we invite people to come into the area and play and visit. It was really great. I have some of my most vivid memories of those early years were in that coffee house ministry. We called our coffee house the Flying Lemon Lounge. <laughs> the Flying Lemon Lounge. And we loved it. I still love that that title. And we were working on all kinds of ideas to promote it. 
one night we were having a prayer meeting. I think it was a Christian conference on prayer and kind of charismatic spirituality. And I was praying with these folks and we, I was in a small group and we were having a prayer time and these folks, uh, were praying with me and some of them were, I think in our church, some of them weren't. And as I prayed, I think I recall in my mind, and this is what I told them afterwards. I said, I had this image and I told them after we were done praying, I said, you know, as we were praying, I had this image of myself dressing up in a lemon costume and heading down to university of Washington and handing out flyers for our coffee house. And then one of the women I was praying with looked at me and said something to the effect of, well, maybe you better pray some more about this. <laughs> yes, I was that excited about the flying lemon that I was willing to dress up like a lemon. Ever been there? Anybody here ever, you know, you see those guys in the sports arenas and they've got the, you know, the, the numbers painted on their bare chest or they're just completely, they're just all in, you know? You ever been so excited about something that you're willing to do something really extreme? When we're so excited about something, we're willing to look foolish, even in the setting that you're in, like a lemon on a college campus, or like crashing a dinner party. In our scripture passage, we have ourselves at a dinner party. It's at Lazarus's place. Makes sense. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. So, of course, they want to honor him. So they put on a dinner gathering for Jesus. And there, Mary does something that makes her look extreme in her devotion. She pours it on the Lord's feet. Pours out this expensive perfume. In ancient times, to work on someone's feet was slaves' work. So Mary brings the best perfume to honor her Lord while she takes the lowest place at his feet. Verse 4 And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Scholar Leon Morris points out there's an interesting rabbinic saying that went something like this. The scent of good oil is diffused from bedchamber to the dining hall just as a good name spreads from one end of the world to the other. Maybe John, the gospel writer, had this saying in his mind. And maybe he was saying something like this. Mary's simple, lowly act would be talked about throughout the world. And and he was right. 2,000 years later, here we are, talking about what Mary did. Judas didn't like what Mary did. He says, it's too expensive. That money could have been spent elsewhere on the poor. And the narrator then clues us in. That Judas, Judas doesn't say this because he cares about the poor. He says this because he's a thief. More precisely, in the language of the text, a sneak thief, as one scholar put it. Well, Jesus defends Mary. Leave her alone. 
It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. This is all part of the plan, Jesus says. This perfume, he says, was meant to be kept by her for just this time, just this moment. Now, perfume in ancient times usually is used for parties, for revelry. That's what perfume was used for in ancient days. But on this day, it's used for something much different. It's used to prepare Jesus for his burial. See, we are in prelude. We are turning. You can sort of sense maybe in this text a little bit of a gathering storm. You know, they they just issued a wind advisory. We've got this somewhat rare, from what I understand, early spring big storm coming in. You can sort of sense it in the air. You can sort of sense it here that there's a bit of a storm brewing, this confrontation. It starts at a party, of all things. Jesus is about to triumphantly enter Jerusalem. That's next Sunday. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. So he's only a couple miles from Jerusalem right now. It's like Mukilteo to Everett away, right? He will soon take on death itself. Storm's coming. He's going to die, go into a tomb, and then bust out. Mary helps prepare the Savior for this self-sacrifice with a radical act of messy devotion that some see as inappropriate. And it all happens at a dinner party. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you had a moment at a party or a gathering of some kind where someone expressed an act of devotion that seemed a little bit wild. Years ago, when we were visiting Seattle, we visited an Episcopal church and we sang praise songs. This is why we lived back east. We were visiting here. And a woman came up front and she began to wave flags as her act of devotion. Praise flags. Not my style, but that's her devotion to Christ. When I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship doing college ministry at Saddle Central Community College, we had Native American Christians, Native American Christians, come and lead us in worship at a conference. They came dressed in their beautiful robes, their headdresses, and they danced before the Lord. That's their devotion to Christ. My brother-in-law, Todd, and his wife, Kristen, have a beautiful kneeling bench and an altar in their living room. They're Roman Catholic. He prays the liturgy, a certain liturgy, or probably a variety of them out of his tradition. That's his act of devotion. Whatever our response is to all the devotion to the Lord that we see, every bit of devotion tells us this. All of these devotions tell us Something about who we think Jesus really is and what he's done for us. If any of us had been attending the dinner party at Lazarus' house and we thought Jesus was just a really nice dinner guest, really just a good teacher with some nice ideas, and then we see Mary's devotion. 
we'd be left wondering, now, who is this guy? Mary, in her extravagant devotion, clearly got him in a way that other people there did not. And it may be, it just may be, that someone else's devotion style will make us uncomfortable. And we may say, what are you doing? But it may be that that person gets Jesus in a way that we haven't yet. One of my mentors from high school used to say, I think he put it this way, he said, what's the definition of a charismatic Christian? And I think he said something like, that's someone who's willing to risk how they look to love Jesus more than I am. You know, something like that. You know, people sometimes rip on denominations and denominational differences. And when those differences lead to arrogance or a sense of division rather than a oneness in Christ, that's not good. But where denominational variations create room for people to express a variety of styles of devotion to Christ, well, that's wonderful. And if we pay attention, we may find ourselves led deeper through someone's expression of devotion. We can be led deeper in knowing fully who Jesus is. When we had Beth Eli's memorial service a few weeks ago, and we had that Byzantine Catholic priest come out with the censer, which emanated incense, smoky incense around the room. And it, it conveyed a sense of the holiness of Christ and the reverence of the triune God that they had and being in the being in the presence of awe and mystery or if you go to a church uh, with uh, the the now retired Reverend Dr. Donald Hilliard um, black uh, black Pentecostal church in uh, Perth Amboy New Jersey and you see the exuberance with which they worship. And when they come up and they give their offerings, they, they, well, they, they don't give their offerings from, the, from their seats. They come up front and dance and then drop their offerings in the, in the, in the offering plate. What are they? Whoa, what is that? There's something there. For some people, super formal worship is their alabaster jar with precise liturgical language and timed responses that pour out. That's that's their alabaster. For other people, informal worship is their alabaster jar with spontaneous, unplanned words shared in the moment from their gut. Devotion can be precise, just like God is. Devotion can be messy, Just like God is sometimes. Either way, someone's devotion may mess with us. Pushing out our horizons. Because maybe we've turned the tiger into a pussycat. God will not be tamed. Maybe from some time to time we will be like Mary in this story. Maybe there is someone else in our life who doesn't get Jesus. They don't understand what this is all about. And our act of devotion, however subtle, might challenge them. Maybe we sit at our dinner table and we talk about our love for our church and someone may say, why would you spend time on that? 
Aren't there other things worth, worth investing in? And we've, we've cracked open that jar, right, in that moment. Does our devotion to Jesus as we live it ever leave anyone asking questions? Through the devotion of others, God often talks to us. Through, the, through our devotion to Jesus, God talks through us. When we take what is precious and pour it out unto Jesus, it changes the atmosphere wherever we dwell. Mary's actions here challenge me. They challenge me. Her extravagant devotion to Jesus Christ challenges me. But it, it, you know, it, it goes deeper. We, we ought not just look at the surface. It's not that she merely broke open this expensive perfume and poured it on him. It's where it was coming from. There's so much in this world that competes for our devotion. You know, it's fine to pour out, but what are we pouring out for? Who are we pouring out for? There's all kinds of pouring out going on, but who and what are we pouring out for? Mary is pouring out for Jesus. She's let herself be captivated by him. She's made a space in her life to be captivated by him. That's where that starts. It's not just, you know, peacocking around and saying, we gave this and I gave that and, you know, that. You don't want to have a devotion to Jesus competition as he is most impressive. We want to let him into our hearts so that he captivates us so much that it's natural to want to give back in time, talent, and treasure. So that our hearts are so amazed, maybe re-amazed once again at who he is. You know, this is what church is. This is what we do when we come every Sunday. We sit and allow ourselves to be re-amazed again. This is what Bible studies are for. This is what prayer times are for. This is what retreats are for. We let him captivate us again and amaze our hearts again. As I read of Mary, I am amazed by her devotion. But where I'm convicted more, and maybe you are too, is to remember to take that place and make that space to allow myself to be so amazed by who Jesus is that I want to pour out for him. When we realize who we have here, we'll be moved to pour out in whatever way and to make room for others to do the same. God, where do you want us to make space to be captivated by you that we may, in natural response, pour out unto you and make room for others to do the same? Speak to our hearts now.